Hello, my name is Tracy King and welcome to the Humanal Connection Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the issue of mental health, what it is, what our understanding of it is, and how a more medicine approach could result in more joined up ways to address this important issue. This pandemic has heightened awareness on the mental health issues that we have faced, our anxieties, loneliness, and isolation. During this time, many of us have lent on the animals who we share our lives with to help us cope with these feelings. And we have developed a greater appreciation of the animals that we share our planet with. We've been thankful for the doctors and nurses who have tended to us and to the vets and nurses who have tended to our animals. But what about the mental health challenges these professionals themselves face? I'm delighted to be joined in this conversation by my guests, Dr. Claire Simeon, marine mammal veterinarian, conservation leader, Ted Fellow, and founder and CEO of the organization Sea Change Health, Dr. Salma Alnauhas, a medical doctor working in mental health rehabilitation services at Kent and Medway NHS Trust, and Nina Malekstik, founder of Psyche Consulting, who raise awareness of psychological principles which affect our mental well-being, and is also the author of a research proposal, One Wellbeing, on the psychology of humans and dogs and what we could learn from each other. Welcome, Claire, Summer, and Nina. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Tracy. So if I could ask a question to all three of you, um, in terms of both humans and animals, what is mental health? What are the current definitions and understanding of it? And Nina, perhaps if I could come to you first, please. Um, yeah, sure. So um, in terms of the definitions and understanding of mental health and, and how people talk about it today, um, it's quite interesting for me to see that um, talking about mental health, um, it's, for example, the World Health Organization used to define it as a state of well-being um, where individual realizes their own potential and can cope with the normal stresses of life. Um, I think they realized later on that this is quite a, a tall order um, and it can be quite subjective in terms of interpretation what the normal stresses of life are. So last year they actually changed their definition. Um, and now talk about it as something that includes our emotional, psychological and social well-being um, and that there are many factors that contribute to mental health, um, but that also determines how we handle stress and relate to others and make choices, uh, which I personally think it's a better definition. However, it can still be problematic. Um, and at this point, I would like to introduce a very different perspective to mental health um, and talk about it from an evolutionary and neuroscientific perspective. So the, the two points that um, I wanted to highlight today specifically, and which will help me also to make parallels with animal mental health, um, are around two neuroscientific discoveries, which I think are absolutely crucial. So the first one um, is the work of Anil Seth, the professor of cognitive, cognitive and computational neuroscience at the University of Sussex, who talked in one of his TED talks um, about uh, the brain as a prediction engine, 
with a main function to help us adapt to the environment and survive. So what, what he was explaining essentially was that our brain doesn't just get the information from the external environment, but also learns about it and tries to predict what's going to happen next in order for us to, uh, to adapt successfully. So for, uh, two examples would be when we see dark clouds outside, we would tend to go inside because that probably means a thunderstorm. And equally, when we see someone's angry face, we will also back off because that means it's a, some, some sort of threat of, of physical or, or verbal violence. So that would be the, the example of the prediction engine. So in terms of how well we, we adapt to the environment, there are three components. Um, the first one is genetics. Uh, the second one is learning or the cognition, so how we learn to think about ourselves, others, and the environment, and the environment itself. So, for example, we know that there are certain teams and certain organizations that are more pleasant to work with than others um, and are causing more stress than others. So that would be the first, the first kind of neuroscientific discovery that um, I think it's important, and I'll explain how it all fits together. The second one, um, which comes from Dr. Matthew Lieberman from University um, from UCLA um, in the States uh, is about uh, mammals, um, sorry, that for mammals living in groups um, is an evolutionary advantage. So as a result, our brain has actually developed a social antenna for communication and collab collaboration with others. So I will summarize his discoveries very, very quickly, but essentially our brain um, experiences social rewards and social pain the same as physical pain and physical pleasure, for example, eating chocolate. So it's the same brain centers responding to each. Um, so the key question here is then, in terms of the adaptation to the environment and that, that kind of social antenna, um, how do we know when we experience social pain or so social reward in order to um, then adapt to whatever is happening around us? And the answer is through emotions. So emotional responses are part of that response to the environment and have a function to prepare us for action um, to adapt and bring us back into balance with that environment. And then once we are back in balance with the environment, that emotions then subsides. So if we now then apply this to mental health, um, we see that emotions like fear, anxiety, and stress are actually a good thing because they tell us that there's something wrong and we need to do something differently in order to adapt. Now, the problem that we then have is if we ignore those emotions and if we ignore the anxiety and we, um, let's say, persist in the same environment or doing the same thing, then that anxiety, fear and stress can get worse and worse and worse. And that's when mental health issues then occur. So I know this is a bit of a long explanation, but I, <laughs> I wanted to, to be quite comprehensive in, in explaining the view because I appreciate it may be quite new. No, that was that was really comprehensive, and you know that's really appreciated because I, I think from my own perspective, you know, we, we hear about mental health, but you know, I I, I probably still don't have a, a greater understanding of, of what we actually mean by it. So, Sam, if I can come to you next in, in terms of you know um, from the an, an NHS perspective, you know, how how is it defined there? You know, what 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 do they consider mental health, and, and what is its current definition of it? Uh, yeah, it, it, it defines, actually it refers in, in the medical perspective, it, it, it refers to cognition, cognitive behavior and emotional well-being, and how people think, feel and behave, um, as, uh, as Nina mentioned. And mental health, also the state of mental health 
helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Um, and it, it is different and it's important in every stage of life, from childhood to adolescent through to um, adulthood. So it's basically thinking, mood, and behavior. And each one of those is, it's, have its own disorders, the thought disorders, the mood disorders, the behavioral issues, um, which many factors can contribute to this. That's great. And, and Claire, do you have anything to add to that from Vet's perspective? Well, I think that both Nina and Samla really um, gave a comprehensive definition and, and thinking about humans as animals, you know, that, that a lot of um, those apply exactly as, as stated. And I think that um, from a, a veterinary practice perspective, we often take mental health into an assessment when we're assessing welfare of animals, um, you know, which is, is something that we're doing continuously. And, and there are different schools of thought, but we typically look at an animal's health and how its biology is functioning, whether it's, you know, living a natural life, quote unquote, and, and, um, and able to, to undergo its natural behaviors and, and then how it's feeling, which of course is, is um, a different type of assessment than, than say asking a human, um, but it's a, it's a similar type of process. And so, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, parallels there. Yeah, I was just really struck by that point then. I think, I think all the three of you, is, is, yeah, it's, it's important to remember that yeah, humans are animals. And I, I think, you know, in, in terms of mental health and other issues, you know, maybe perhaps we, we sometimes forget that, that we, we are animals. So talking now more specifically about, you know, doc, doctors, vets and nurses, um, we, we know because of the work, the nature of the work that they do, that they are subject to high levels of work stress and factors such as compassion fatigue, um, burnout, and, and sadly, the risk of suicide. Claire, if, if I can come to you first, um, I'm, I, I've only recently become aware of this term of compassion fatigue. So could I ask for you, um, what, what do you think is meant by that term? And what do you think are the main mental health challenges that doctors, vets and nurses routinely face? Sure. Um, well, you know, thinking about um, compassion fatigue, um, at, you know, anybody, regardless of, of the type of, of work that they're doing when it comes to caring for a life um, or, uh, or work that has to do with, um, with working compassionately and showing empathy towards others, whether that's a human or an animal, um, can, can be at risk of that if the, um, uh, you know, if, if the stressors are too continuous and too large. And, and of course, um, the, uh, the people working on the front lines of the, the pandemic um, certainly come to mind. Um, in, in my line of work, a lot of the times when there are um, either natural disasters or just large events where there are large numbers of animals that, that are suffering, that is, is really challenging to take in day after day. Um, and, and I know that compassion fatigue has hit you know, almost every colleague that I've worked with. Um, and, and I think to, to answer your question about the different mental health challenges that, uh, that we face, um, you know, I know that there have been quite a few studies um, around the world that have looked at um, uh, risk factors and, and different um, uh, factors contributing to, to well-being or, or lack of it. Um, in the United States, Merck Animal Health um, did a, a pretty comprehensive study in 2017. And, and things that, that stuck out for me was that, you know, in particular, they found that younger veterinarians are really struggling, that 
um, that about 12% of veterinarians um, under age 44 were suffering compared with, you know, 2% of those 65 or older. Um, and, and with women um, exhibiting um, uh, higher higher levels of, of suffering than, than men. Um, and they found that, you know, factors um, included high student debt loads, working really long hours, low income, lack of healthy activities. And, you know, and I'd add to that all of the emotional strain, regardless of the type of work that comes for, comes with caring for a life. Um, and, and so I think that in, in particular, you know, I, I think that a lot of these stressors are universal, um, not just in our professions, but uh, you know, across the board um, with us as as um, as a community, and and but in particular, I'm I'm struck by the um, the younger colleagues that that we really need to support in different ways. Yeah, thank you, Claire. And Sam, is is that a similar scenario as, as what happens in in human medicine from from your experience? Yes, I think it's it's, it's pretty much similar. Um, research shown consistently that you know higher levels of, of work stress um that doc faced by doc doctors face nurses and allied healthcare professionals including medical students they face um a, a lot of higher level of work stress than the general population and um it mostly is associated also with physical stress um many doctors find it also difficult to talk about their mental health difficulties and they feel a strong commitment um, to their patients, um, stay more hours at work. So they, they get um, also fatigued um, uh, uh, and tired. And they, uh, they also the, the pressure of needing to maintain high quality of health care provision at the times when it's, it's very difficult, limited resources, and um, it can lead to more working hours and more fatigability. Um, that's combined with not being able to probably seek um, professional help themselves. So that definitely combined uh, the pressure. And at the times of um, pandemics, even the, the pressure is higher because of more exposure to um, uh, patients that are needing help uh, and care. Um, also, they're bringing the, 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 the risk um, of infection to their families can also combine that stress and you know put, put add to adds to it um, also doctors nurses and and uh, medical students have their own physical health problems and family uh, personal issues as well that can really makes it really really difficult no thank you Sarah and and Nina is is there anything that Claire and Salma have mentioned that really resonate with you in that regard um, yeah, so I mean, I find it very, very interesting um, hearing real examples of of how doctors, vets, and nurses experience stress. Um, one thing I would I would say from the psychological point of view, I'd be very interested to understand. Um, the, um, the, the role of expectations, the social expectations in, in particular, and beliefs that probably underpin uh, the high, higher levels of stress, for example, uh, are doctors, vets and nurses generally uh, more focused or more, let's say, uh, caring. I mean, they are described as caring professions. Um, and is is, is it is, is it that you know the kind of um, impact of patients not doing well or anger of their uh, relatives and families being 
redirected to doctors and vets are then having a bigger impact than general population. Um, also a question around um, what are the society's expectations in terms of long working hours and giving people enough time to get away and uh, have a professional support to maybe think about things differently um, or just simply to, to remove themselves from the environment that is causing them stress. Um, so, so these are kind of big questions, but I think it's definitely something that we don't pay enough attention to um, in research as well as the, the just general discussion in, in the society. Yeah, Nina, I mean, you've made some really important comments there, and I'd like to pick up on one of those comments that you made about, about the expectations that we have of, of doctors, vets and nurses. And, you know, they, they share the same values. They, they both provide their patients with very high levels of patient care, and they both display the values of, of love and compassion and empathy. But do you think there's a reluctance for you know, the doctors and vets and nurses to talk about their mental health challenges because we, the general public, are perceiving them as, as strong. You know, we, we are going to them when we are at our most vulnerable and our, our most afraid. And, you know, we need them to be strong for us. So I just want to pick up that point. And, and also another point that you made, Nina, about anger being redirected. And Claire wrote about this in an article and she articulated it beautifully that you know, they, they are likely to be subject to anger, which gets redirected by grieving family members or, or animal caregivers. So it's, it's really, this is a two-part question to all of you. Do you, do you think that there, there is this reluctance for the medical professions to talk about their own mental health challenges? But do you also think there's a, enough awareness by the general public about the impact that, that, these, that these redirections of our own emotions has on them? And perhaps, Samway, if I could start with you, please. Um, it, certainly, there is reluctance on, you know, um, on patients um, um, seeking help. Um, I, I mean, on doctors seeking help um, or professional help for their mental health difficulties. And most of the reasons is just because of perceived um, uh, stigma that they, they should stay strong um, and also the anticipated damage of their um, further career perspectives. Um, sometimes their own feelings of shame, guilt, professional failure or perhaps bullying at work, place and, and also worries about fitness to practice and license re uh, restrictions. So that might make it very difficult for, for, for doctors, healthcare professionals, nurses to talk about their mental health um, difficulties or seek professional help. But most of the time they, they seek friend, family um, uh, help than, than professional psychological, psychiatric consultations due to worries about the stigma uh, and the career perspective, as I mentioned. Um, and definitely uh, um, some of the anger directed to the healthcare professionals um, from patients and from um, uh, um, caregivers is, is also leads to kind of traumatized um, events. And, and this trauma also definitely plays a role in, in uh, impacts on mental health of doctors and professionals. Um, uh, maybe not to a level of uh, um, post-traumatic stress disorders or things like that, but it's to a lesser degree but it can, also, can definitely affect their performance, their productivity at work, and um, perhaps um, also leading to uh, um, sick leave, absence from work, just avoidance of the situation in general. 
um, uh, especially when, it, when doctors are young or um, in their career or medical students. So um, these things can probably do a lot of damage at that stage. No, that, that's, you've, made, you've made some really, really important points there, Salma. And, and Claire, if I can come to you next, it would, is that similar you know, experience to what, what happens to vets? You know, you, you've, you've written about this before and you know, perhaps you, know, you could just go over the, the article that you wrote about you know, what happens when this anger gets redirected. Sure. Well, you know, I think that um, that Nina framed it really well, that it, it does seem to be a, um, a combination of, you know, kind of societal factors and the the types of people that that choose these professions. And, and um, Selma, you know, I was struck by when when you had said before we um, uh, before we started recording that um, you know that you had considered being a veterinarian um, when you were younger, and um, and that's you know that's that's something that that many people will often share. It's kind of a, a childhood um, profession that that people love, and 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 it makes sense that that you know you and I both enter that 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 um, healthcare professional field, um, and that it that it, it it does attract people that that are compassionate and empathetic and. Um, and that combined with the, the stressors, I can absolutely see how that would, that could take a toll. Um, you know, I, th I think I've, I've been encouraged by the fact that I, I do see so many colleagues being supportive and sharing their struggles, but, you know, overall, absolutely. Yes. I feel like there's a reluctance to discuss it and, um, and, you know, just anecdotally for, for myself, it reminds me of a story from my, my postdoctoral internship where an attending clinician told a group of us, you know, I had to suffer through this and now you do too. And, and that's the type of mindset that I'd, I'd love to see shift in the prof professions. Um, and, and I think that on top of that, um, you know, that, the, that there is that type of a, a stoicism um, that's expected. And then kind of throwing fuel on the fire is the, the um, effect that social media has, has had to really amplify the effect. Um, and, and that was part of what, what I had written in, in the article previously, how, you know, in, in my line of work with, with marine mammals, um, marine mammals evoke such strong feelings. Um, and when an animal dies, there, there can be very strong emotions, um, anger or grief, um, you know, almost universally, and that can get directed towards caretakers. Um, and, and with social media, um, in, in small animal practice, you know, there are very frequent reports of, of owners aggressively attacking veterinarians online or um, going to the press and, and, um, and different articles being written. That's something that, that we see with, with increasing frequency. Um, and so it, it really does feel like a perfect storm to, um, to, to make these kinds of mental health challenges just so challenging. Uh, and Nina, from, from your perspective, because I mean, I mean, I've just been totally struck by you know, the comments from, from Samuel and Claire, but from, from your from a psychological perspective, what could be done to reduce this stigma? And you know, what, what impact has social media had on, you know, on perhaps increasing this stigma and increasing expectations on the medical professions and, and what could be done about it? It's a, it's a complex question, um, but, but an extremely important one. Um, so let me, let me dwell a little on the, um, the stigma of mental health. I think there's two things that need to happen. The first one is that we need to probably start thinking about 
reframing how we talk about mental health simply because when we talk about something, it's, it reflects the way we think about it. Um, so if we continue to, think, to talk about mental health as something that is outside of individual control, so you either have it or you don't have it, or you have certain factors that impact it, then we um, essentially rescind individual. So we, we, we take the responsibility for it um, away from the individuals, away from the society. So I would say it's, it's a common responsibility that we need to take on, on, on it. Um, when it comes to, so, so that, that's when it kind of gets to the stigma. Um, the stigma itself has been around for centuries when it comes to mental health. We have enough um, understanding now about the psychology, about the neuroscience to start bringing that academic knowledge out into the public. And I think raising awareness is something that I really definitely want to do. And I start shifting in my chair, you know, going through these kind of conversations, but every single time I think, well, the psychologists know the answer to all of this and we're still, you know, um, running in circles. Why can we not raise awareness and, and bring this, this out you know, into the public and normalize the, the fact that if you're stressed, that's just normal and you need to identify what stresses you out and then either do something about it or remove yourself from the situation if you don't have any influence over it. Um, and the stigma is definitely not helping ha to have that conversation. When Claire said, um, yeah, people are just expected to get on with it, um, even you know the the colleagues between themselves oh now you're suffering through this the same way i suffered through it but is there is it necessary um th does everybody have to go through the same process i don't think so um so in, in and let, let me just take um the redirected anger as a as a really good example how uh, raising awareness of how how psychology works could help um, so redirected anger essentially is part of the grieving process. And if people just understood the normal psychological grieving process, and also the fact that some people psychologically don't have permission to feel sadness, and instead they substitute sadness with anger, then I think emotionally it's easier than to deal with these sort of situations because you understand that people, who, the, the person who is getting angry at you are just going through a normal grieving process and it's not personal so if you take that um, personal spike out of it it's then less of a trauma um, and also it probably removes the stigma a little as well because it's not oh it's my fault it's my failure it is how this person reacts to this situation and you can talk to someone else about it um, in, in a bit more openly if that makes sense mm. yeah um, no that, that that does you know so you know from a like so i mean you you said you know from a, a psychological perspective you know that the the things that like that could be done what i mean we we know that i mean what what struck me from this conversation so far is that it's it's clear to me that you know doctors vets and and nurses they do face the same risks to their mental health and potentially it's the same level of intensity that those those, those risks are at and from, so from sort of a, a psychological perspective, we, we know that each of those professions have, you know, they have their own sort of support network resources to, to help them between, you know, within, within that particular profession. 
But do you think there's, there's any benefit in sort of like a, a one medicine approach and, and joining up the two professions to, to talk to each other about these shared risk factors that they have and, and the, that the mental health challenges and, and the, the stigma, you know, that, that's come from this, that, you know, that's been identified through this conversation. And Nina, perhaps I could start with you for your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, so I think there's definitely, I think there's definitely a benefit in a joined up approach simply because um, both professions are human. Um, and there will be similarities between, you know, the type of people who decide to, to choose these professions. Um, there will be similarities in the environments that they operate, as Claire pointed out and Salma earlier as well, in terms of uh, what reactions they get from, from their patients, from their families and, and general public. Um, so, for example, the social media earlier. Uh, so I think there will definitely be benefit, benefits in, in joining forces and just understanding that uh, it's not just the two professions that are similar, but everybody goes through, um, you know, ups and downs in their lives and the stresses and the anger and uh, the, the, the smearing on the social media. You don't even need to be working in a, in a, um, you know, in a healthcare profession to be subject to these things, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, certainly... Certainly, I see a lot of benefits. No, thank you, Nick. And and Claire, if I, if I can come to you next, you know, we're going back to your your earlier comment, you know, that you know, humans are animals. I, I think, you know, from a, from a vet's perspective, do you think there would be a benefit in sort of like this joined up approach where you know doctors and vets are are, are have a capacity to to share, you know, the, the 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 same risks that they have to their their mental health. Absolutely. Um, and I loved what, what Nina said about how universal um, all of it is, um, because it's so true. You know, I was, I was recently having a conversation with a veterinarian about imposter syndrome, and they said that, that they, as a veterinarian, you know, they suspected that physicians experienced it way less. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's true, um, but I think it's a really universal and human experience to feel alone and experiencing something. And, and that, that seems like one of the key levers that, that each of us as individuals can shift. Um, and by having that, you know, I think it's wonderful that there are so many resources that are already becoming available and, and, you know, we can't be everything to everyone. And so what helps someone at one point in their lives may not be as useful or attractive at another time. And, you know, sometimes that, that for me, you know, whether that looks like uh, public policies to help with debt or a therapist or sometimes a crisis line, but, you know, we're always stronger together when we can solve these, these types of issues. And, and so I'm absolutely on board with that. No, we're definitely stronger together. And uh, Salma, from a human medicine perspective, you know, um, we've discussed the sort of like the 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 commonalities and and the you know the the universal risk risk factors that the two medical professions face. How do you feel about it from a human medicine perspective? Do you think doctors would be willing to engage with vets to talk about their mental health challenges? Um, uh, absolutely, I think many doctors would 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 engage in this, uh, and because this there is the the mental health difficulties is is definitely universal to to both profession, and uh, in terms of with each profession, I think there there are the resources are there to support the professionals um, at um, workplace, um, uh, supportive for employee from from the employers directly, but. There is also um, many ways to tackle the mental health stigma at workplace by creating uh, some kind of a culture to encourage open communication. And I think many doctors would, would 
love to engage in this because once you realize that there is similarities, that it, 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 re, it alleviates a little bit of the pressure as well. And it, it, will, it will seek to reduce the stigmatization um, uh, in the community as well as in the workplace. Um, it, can, it can challenge unhelpful attitudes, promote desired values, and also ex expanding and sharing this knowledge would be a very valuable thing to do. Thank you, Samra, for your insightful comments, which brings us to the end of part one of this Humanimal Connection podcast on mental health. But join me, Claire, Nina and Salma in part two as we continue our conversation on the mental health challenges faced by the medical and veterinary professions together with the mental health challenges faced by animals. But for now, my name is Tracy King. You've been listening to the Humanimal Connection podcast, and I hope you will join us for part two of this One Medicine Conversation. <laughs> <laughs>